0: Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. There's an interesting story about an aristocratic family uh, several hundred years ago in England. The Duke of Portland became the owner of a very famous and ancient vase that dated back to the first century BC, and it became known as the Portland Vase. Now, the Duke of Portland also was a very close friend of the King of England, and uh, as a gesture of, of love and appreciation for the king, he gave him the Portland Vase and the king was uh, so grateful for this that he uh, put the vase on public display however within the household of the duke of portland there were a number of quite serious hr issues the head of his household staff became agitated and resentful that of the duke and reckoned that he deserved some of the accolade and honor that was given to his boss. And so he began to sow seeds of dissension amongst the rest of the household staff. Uh, In due course, the duke came to know about this, and uh, the disgruntled servant was dismissed. He was thrown off the estate, and everyone thought that was the end of the matter. Unfortunately, that was not the case. The dismissed servant brooded ...and fested with hatred towards the duke... ...and came up with a plan that he knew... ...would really upset his former employer. He, he knew how much the duke prized the famous... ...what was now called the Portland Vase... ...and he also knew the affection... ...that the duke held toward the king. So one night he broke into the place... ...where the Portland Vase was on display... ...and he lifted it up of its stand... Above his head, and with as much venom and bitterness and malice as he could muster, he threw it onto the ground. And, of course, it smashed into dozens of pieces. When the Duke heard about this, he was obviously deeply upset. A prized possession, a gift of love that he'd given to the king, had been shattered. However, when the king was told about it, he issued an unusual order. He ordered that every broken piece of the shattered vase be collected. And then he ordered that a search be carried out across the kingdom for a skilled craftsman who could work with the broken pieces and rebuild the Portland vase. And in short, that's what happened. A skilled craftsman was found. And over a period of time, with painstaking work, the Portland vase was completely restored. In fact, when the construction work was completed, you could hardly tell that it had ever been broken. And the Portland vase was put back on public display and apparently is still able to be seen in the British Museum today. Well, today we're we're part three in a series of messages looking at our core values as a church. We're asking questions like, why do we exist as a community of faith? What are the defining characteristics or the ambitions that we have as a church? If you were here uh, two weeks ago, we looked at our church's mission statement that we've adopted. Uh, In other words, we exist to prepare God's people, that's all of us, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Our, Our reason for being as a church, is encapsulated in this little statement in Ephesians 4, verse 12. Or to put that a different way, the ministers of the gospel in this particular church are its members, and the role of the organization of the church is to help prepare and equip them in the fulfillment of the service that God has actually called them to do. Then last week, we looked at the first of seven specific values that we want to be shaped by. We looked at authentic community. We are more than just a club or an event that people belong to. Uh, we, We are actually interconnected. We're interwoven, if you like, like threads in a cloth. We do this thing called life as a Christian together rather than just on our own. Well, today we're looking at the second of these value statements, and we call that relationship with God. As a Christian community, we are committed to facilitating the spiritual formation or spiritual growth of those people that God sends to be a part of our church community. Helping people grow in their relationship with God, well, this is our core business, It's a value that steers our planning, directs our activities, and one day will be a yardstick against which our effectiveness as a church is measured. But what do we mean by words like spiritual formation or relationship with God? And I guess here's where the story of the Portland vase actually serves as an analogy. The Bible paints... Uh, a similar picture about the human race is what happened within the household of the Duke of Portland. The classical understanding of the origins of evil in our world go back to uh, an angelic being by the name of Lucifer, who served as the archangel before the presence of the Lord. Uh, however, as the story goes, Lucifer began—he had an inflated ego—and he began to become jealous of the worship and the praise that was given to God. He began to see himself as worthy of that respect as well. And in a sense, he plotted a rebellion. Uh, God's uh, response to this was decisive. Lucifer and a third of the angelic beings were cast out of heaven, summarily dismissed. End of story. Or was it? As a vicious act of spite and revenge, Lucifer plotted one, uh, uh, to destroy one of God's most prized possessions. The Bible says that of all the creation of God, human beings are the most precious. We're the only aspect of God's creation that are said to be fashioned or formed after his image. So in his anger towards God, the state of humanity became the focus of Lucifer or Satan's vengeance. And like the Duke of Portland's service, Satan broke into the world that we live in and he smashed the human race with sin. Evil. Corruption. Relationship with God? Destroyed. The beauty of God's most prized possession was smashed. Lucifer had got his own back. Or so he thought. Again, not the end of the story. All the broken pieces of humanity were carefully kept and God has ever since engaged in the business of putting us back together. Painstakingly and patiently, one life at a time, God has been at work restoring or reforming broken, shattered people. And the message of the gospel is that God is in the restoration business. He rebuilds shattered lives. So the whole concept of spiritual formation or relationship with God is a way of describing this restoration work that God does in the lives of people like you and me, who turn to him, who invite Jesus Christ to become the Lord of their lives. To put this another way, there's a whole lot more to being Christian than simply purchasing an entry ticket into heaven. Sometimes our concept of evangelism or proclaiming the good news of Jesus is maybe given the wrong impression here. As if the meaning of the gospel is basically all about minimum entry requirements... Uh, ...in order for a person to get to heaven. We talk about the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian... ...is that the Christian has a connection or restored connection with God... And uh, their broken connection was, bro- was uh, mended. And if we're asked how did that connection get reestablished, we talk about certain things that the Christian had to do in order for that connection to be reestablished. We talk about the fact that they may have prayed a specific prayer. They may have confessed their sins and asked God to forgive them. Uh, they may have been baptized. They may have joined the church uh, and so on and so on. And when a person does these kind of things, we say they are now in the club. They have their personal get out of hell free card. But the definition of the gospel from God's perspective is a whole lot more than that. It's not only about minimum entry requirements, it's actually about lifetime transformation. It's about reconstruction, being put back together after that connection with God has been restored. Christianity and the message of the gospel is not so much about getting in, it's more about going on. The broken pieces of the Portland vase were not only collected and kept in one place, someone worked mistakenly in putting the broken vessel back together again. That's the process of spiritual formation that God longs to do with every broken person in our world. And there are heaps of statements in the Bible, the New Testament in particular, that describe this process of change or reconstruction that God does within us. Let me give you uh, a sampling from the writings of the Apostle Paul, for instance, in different letters that he wrote to different churches. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Uh, Philippians three verse twenty, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will, will be like his glorious body. Second Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion Until the day of Christ Jesus. And putting all of this another way, you and I are a work in progress. Remember seeing a bumper sticker once that had the words written on it, please be patient, God hasn't finished with me yet. Now the whole process of reconstruction or restoration or rebuilding in your life and mine is still ongoing there is more work yet to be done to use another analogy popular on television these days are uh, reality tv shows uh, about house makeovers right the old houses are internally deconstructed they're redesigned they're reconfigured and made into something fit for new purpose Well, we might want to say that being converted to Christ is more than just change in the ownership title of the house. It is also more akin to the gradual makeover or reconstruction process. Or to employ a computer analogy. Becoming a Christian is a little bit like being reformatted. Our old hard drive was corrupted and full of bad sectors... And when Jesus becomes Lord of our life, he reformats us and slowly begins to reprogram our applications and data files so that life works for us the way we were designed. New software is installed and, well, virus protection software helps protect us from corruption in the future. We're a work in progress. The process of change or transformation or reformatting into the likeness of Jesus is something that we as a church, we are committed to facilitating that in the lives of the people that God sends amongst us. There's one other key verse in the New Testament, though, again from the writings of the Apostle Paul, that I think captures this Core value of relationship with God. It's found in a, a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Rome. And it describes the part that we play in this change process and also the part that God plays. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Many of you will be very familiar with this. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the particular Greek word that's translated here as transformed is the word metamorpho, or metamorphosis. It means literally being changed from one form of being into another. Metamorphosis is something that we all learned about in science in school. It's the process that a tadpole goes through when it changes to become a frog or a caterpillar that transforms into a butterfly. The DNA of the creature is exactly the same, but the being is completely different. And it's like Paul was using a word like that to describe what happens in the life of a person who grows or matures in their relationship with God. Uh, Change is actually an inevitable factor in the life of a genuine follower of Jesus. We slowly and sometimes imperceptibly are changed to become more like Jesus. Now, all of this begs the question, of course, how does this happen? We, We might recognize that change is necessary in us, I suspect the people that we live with or work with will recognize the need for change in us as well. Uh, We probably would agree that more people in our world behaving like Jesus would actually be a really good idea. But how does it happen? What causes spiritual formation to occur? And the answer to a question like that is a little bit like a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin, it states that spiritual formation is the work of the Holy Spirit. If God is in the business of putting broken people back together again, then the work of making people more like Jesus is fundamentally a work of the Holy Spirit. Those verses that we read before kind of point that the onus is on God to change us. But there are other statements in the New Testament that reflect the other side of the coin, and seem to indicate that spiritual formation is also our responsibility. There are certain things that we are supposed to do that help make that happen. God does his work, and we have our work to do. Maybe a a horticultural analogy here might help us grasp this. As a child, and maybe this was your experience too, one of the fruits that we really enjoyed to eat were called Chinese gooseberries. Remember those? Uh, They Apparently, the Chinese gooseberry bush uh, actually was uh, brought back to New Zealand from a returning missionary about the turn of last century who probably illegally smuggled it into her suitcase and brought back cuttings. But they spread all over the country. They typically grew in the backyards of people's homes in a kind of a rambling bush or kind of a vine and they were sometimes regarded as a bit of a nuisance and a pest. We had friends who had one of these and they used to give us bags of Chinese gooseberries. But then in the late 1970s and and early 1980s, a group of people in the Bay of Plenty began to grow Chinese gooseberries commercially. They developed an international market, they changed the name to Kiwi Fruit, now known all over the world, and they discovered that with a little bit of smart thinking and organisation, an orchardist could actually produce millions of these things. And nowadays a whole industry has been established in New Zealand around kiwi fruit. Now, from a Christian worldview perspective, who causes kiwi fruit to grow? we would probably say the answer to that is god does the growth of the kiwi fruit vine is a divine order phenomenon if god so determined that a kiwi fruit vine would produce no fruit then there is nothing that an orchardist could do to make it happen god causes kiwi fruit to grow however over the years Horticulturists have discovered that if they built a support network of framing and training wires and shelter belts that protected wind from knocking the vine, and if they strategically pruned and fertilized the vines at the right times in an annual cycle, the amount of kiwi fruit that God grows on a vine increases exponentially. The cause of the growth is still as much God's work as ever it was. And yet, with a little bit of training and husbandry, that which God grows naturally produces even more fruit. Well, likewise with our spiritual formation as people in relationship with Jesus. The ultimate power to change and become better people, that, that rests with God. We cannot morph ourselves by ourselves into being more like Jesus, that is ultimately a transforming work of the Holy Spirit. However, God also expects that we will participate or cooperate with him in the process. While he is the change agent, there are disciplines, there are strategies that we can build into our lives that will help make the process produce more growth. And that's why Paul could say in Romans 12 verse 2 that the process of transformation begins with the renewing of a person's mind. As we learn more about Jesus, as we train our mind to think more like Jesus, the Spirit of God begins to change us into people who behave more like Jesus. There's another analogy that Paul used uh, in some of his writings to young Christians that demonstrated this principle. He, he talked about the discipline that an athlete goes through in preparation for a running race. And one of the churches that he wrote about this to was the church in Corinth. And in Corinth, they well understood the principles of running races. They had what were called the Ismaian Games. And participation in these games was extremely strict. The athlete in who entered was required to undergo 10 months of rigorous training, and if they failed to do so, they would be disqualified from the race. Here's how Paul expressed this principle to illustrate our part in the process of spiritual transformation. 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 24. Do you not know that... In a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Relationship with God and the process of metamorphosis that makes us more like Jesus is a mixture of what God does for us and what we do for ourselves. There are some things that we can do to enhance growth that God does within us and there are some things which are up to God. Well, what are some of the things that we can do ourselves? Let me just very quickly give you a few examples. Spiritual formation is the driver, for instance, behind why we would hold weekly worship services. That they provide an opportunity for people to train themselves in the disciplines of worship and fellowship and teaching from the Bible. Does a Christian lose their salvation if they miss church on a Sunday? Well, obviously no. Neither does an athlete lose confidence if they, for some reason, miss a particular training run. However, the athlete recognizes the value of disciplining his or her body to train even when they don't feel like it. Likewise, placing a priority on gathering for worship with fellow Christians is a good discipline that trains us to put God first in our life. Because as we gather together, we sharpen and encourage one another in our pursuits of godliness. This was actually an issue, and we talked about this before, that the, uh, the first generation of Christians needed a bit of a stir-up on. For the writer of the book of Hebrews had to say in chapter 10, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That this value of spiritual transformation is why we encourage people to belong to a small group, if it's at all possible. If all we do is mingle in a large crowd in church on a particular Sunday, church, let me tell you, will become very lonely and, uh, and impersonal. However, in the context of a small group where there is time, where there is capacity for meaningful friendships that train our spiritual growth, where we are able to get to know others and they in turn are able to get to know us, growth and metamorphosis begins to happen. In community and fellowship, we hold each other accountable to the various struggles of life that we all go through. Now, can a person... Be a Christian and not link up with a small group? Well, of course, technically that's the case. The question, though, is why would you want to? Compare the fruit that used to grow on an untrained Chinese gooseberry bush to that which grows on a well-trained kiwifruit orchard. Maybe the key question is how much spiritual fruit do we want to see hang off the branches of our lives? You might say that the reason why the Bible teaches the Christian discipline of tithing or regular giving to the Lord's work is a training discipline in spiritual formation. It's another parallel to the discipline regimen that an athlete goes through in training to prepare for a race. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 in the Living Bible says, the purpose of tithing is to put God first in your life. We are encouraged to give not because God needs our money, but because it's good for us to give. Are we a bad Christian if we don't legally manage to tithe every week? Does God get angry with us? Well, of course not. On the other hand, is it a good discipline that will stretch us and help us grow and experience God's provision and blessing in our life? And the answer to that is an absolute yes. Yes. We can say the same thing about a range of other spiritual disciplines. It's a good practice for Christians to read the Bible every day and to have set times of prayer every day and to engage from time to time in the act of fasting as a spiritual discipline and so on and so on. Now, in closing this morning, I guess the bottom line question for all of us to take away and consider is what kind of Christian do we really want to be? Someone once described becoming a follower of Jesus as like the purchase of a very large house. But come move-in day, all the furniture and personal possessions are placed in and are stuck in the entrance foyer of the house. Uh, Under the building, under the same roof, there are many large rooms that people could get to know and move into, but a lot of Christians simply stay on the immediate other side of the front door and don't explore the rest of the house that's available for us to enjoy. Maybe some of us identify closely with the shattered pieces of the Portland vase. Life has dealt us a rough hand in the past. Or for whatever reason, we still feel significantly broken. The invitation of Jesus is to be put back together, to be restored, to be reformatted. The question that we have to consider is actually whether we're willing to be put back together or would we rather actually stay broken. The spiritual formation coin has two sides to it. God will be faithful in doing his part. Will we be faithful in ours? And so helping people find restoration, spiritual growth, relationship with God, this is a core value for us as a church. Let's pray together. for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz Join us again next week at Central Speaks.